Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Joanna and I'm the host of the Bouncing Back podcast, our personal resilience podcast. So today we've got a really great topic lined up and one that I haven't really had a chance to talk about too much. So I'm really excited to be chatting about wheelchair training today and I'll be joined by Pete Donnelly. So we're going to explore wheelchair user access, wheelchair skills training, and especially how this helps build confidence, resilience and independence. So Pete has been a full-time wheelchair user himself for the last 17 years and he's also the founder of the wheelchair skills college hi pete thank you so much for joining us today hey joanna thanks for having me along yeah of course um firstly i'd love to ask if you could introduce a bit more about yourself and what it is you do sure so i've been using a wheelchair for 17 years now and i was really lucky early on and to learn wheelchair skills so these are the techniques that you use when getting around using your wheelchair in day-to-day life and as I say lucky to learn the Melio because they're not supposed to standard and that's always something that's really baffled me um, but these skills have had a massive impact in my life both personally and professionally allowing me to go out there and do things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise so over the years I've kind of realized that there is a massive gap that exists um, for wheelchair skills training and then finally decided that I was going to do something about it um, a couple of years ago. And I set up a social enterprise, the Wheelchair Skills College, with the vision that everyone gets these fundamental skills of, of how to use their wheelchair. Yeah, for sure. And can you tell me what like specifically inspired you to you know, start the um, college as well and like how you got to where you are now with it? Yeah, sure. So hopefully years and years i knew that uh, it was a massive gap i know that there are pockets of wheelchair skills training happening but nothing that's standardized and i was always aware of it i always thought that makes no sense and then i went to um to a kind of a seminar a, a public speaking event where there was a social enterprise founder there who set up um, a social enterprise called Change Please, and this social enterprise trains up homeless people to be baristas. And I was really impressed with this model. It's all around empowerment of people and, and getting them back on their feet. And there was one thing that he talked about in that in his talk that really um, spoke to me. And he shared something called the rocking chair test. And I'd never heard it before. I wasn't actually expecting to get any like much um, from this um, from this talk beyond just I was fascinated with this really great idea. Anyway, he he shared the rocking chair test, and the rocking chair test is this idea that you kind of visualize yourself um, towards the end of your life, and it's kind of like past the sun set years and it's like going right towards the end of your life and it's like the twilight years of your life and it's not it's not a sad time I mean you get there and you've lived a good life anyway you you're sat on the porch of your house and you're sat in your rocking chair and it's such a calm environment and as you're going back and forth in your rocking chair you're reflecting on your life everything that's gone by in, in all these years that you've lived and you think about the good times, the bad times, the, the people you've met, the friends you've made, your family, and all your education, your work. And as you're looking back through your life, you focus on one thing that made you really proud. The thing, things like, okay, that's what, that's the thing that 
best thing that I've done. And the idea is, as you're picturing that and reflecting on it, if you've not yet achieved it, that's what you should aim for. And like I said, I wasn't expecting to get uh, anything as big from this tour, but as I was doing this rocking chair test, I suddenly popped into my head as like, wheelchair skills, that's what I want to do. It's a cliche to say it's a light bulb moment, but it was it was an unexpected one, but I was like, actually, yeah, that's what I want to do. So in that, in the using this rocking chair test, it's like, okay, this is actually, this is what I want to do. Yeah, amazing. I feel like that's such a really great sort of way to sort of self-reflect as well. And one I actually haven't heard of before either. So that's super unique. And can you tell me a bit about like how you've been able to develop develop your own skills over the years as well? Yeah, so I think it's just been a case of constantly pushing myself and just trying them out on a regular basis. Sometimes it's been putting myself in situations where I have to practice them more and sometimes I just it's just worked out that way so when I say that I mean um, when I've been traveling for example I think traveling to places that don't necessarily have very good access as as forced me into situations that I've got to use my wheelchair skills more going kind of off the beaten track in terms of that, that travel inside of things were countries that maybe aren't as accessible and then using skills to get around there. But also when I moved to London, actually, and driving in London is, is just a bit crazy compared to the rest of the country. So I didn't, um, I didn't have a car with me when I first moved to London, which meant I was just using public transport a lot more and getting around with out of car means that you just practice wheelchair skills a lot more. And although the car has massive benefits in where I was living before, in London, not so much. So having that step as well and not having a car for the last 10 years, it's put me in a position where on a day-to-day basis, I've got to practice wheelchair skills more. And so they just naturally kind of get better. But I think there's also certain situations where you can when you're out and about, you can also practice skills more. So if I want to cross a road and instead of going down to where the drop curb is at the end of the road, and it might be easier to roll off that, I might cross the road where I am. And so I've got the coming off the curb and then on the other side, going up the curb as well. It's just little things, little changes you can make that just, because every time you practice it, it just becomes a bit better, the skill. It just becomes a bit tighter. There's elements of the skill around flicking your wheels up, landing the wheels, the the right kind of balance point that you've got to perfect. All these things just get better and better with practice. It's like any skill. It's just about using it again and again. Yeah, for sure. Like they say, I guess practice makes perfect. Um, are you still finding that there's a lot for you to learn and like you're constantly developing your skills as well? Definitely. There's always more stuff to learn. There's always things that I find that it's like, oh, how have I not done that before? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was one recently? So um, about a year ago, I got uh, a power attachment for my wheelchair, which makes it a lot easier getting around. It's kind of about shoulder preservation in London, where there's in the center where there's not a lot of good transport since makes it easier to get around those spaces as well. But all of a sudden you've got this um, attachments on the front of your wheelchair. So it then makes it more difficult in other situations like opening doors. So when I'm opening doors without the attachments on, I'll always position myself in front of the door and pull the door open as I'm wheeling backwards. But it's not as easy when you've got the extra um, length on your wheelchair. So what I learned to do now I've got the attachments is to pull sideways to the door, I'll use my hand to fling the door open and then drive in um, with the scooter attachments on as well. So it's just it's just little things like that that it's always about, okay, something else has come up now. Um, what can I do differently? How can I make this better? Um, but I think it's always important to, to look for these solutions. And again, it's just about constantly practicing. I know that if 
if I use the scooter too much, for example, then my skills in using my wheelchair without it are going to lower. And since starting on my social enterprise, I've got a car, so there's that factor I've got to take into consideration. I don't want to be using that all the time, yeah, um, especially for shorter journeys, because then it's going to impact on my skills as well. So it's, it's kind of focusing on um, still practicing those skills, but yeah, always being open to learning things and seeing how other people do it as well. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'd love to get into our section that we've called, Have You Met Pete? So we just ask you some more like personal get to know you questions. Um, and they're pretty easy, pretty lighthearted. So my first one for you is around books. Are you reading anything at the moment or are you a book lover? Um, yeah, so at the moment I'm reading a book called Blindingly Obvious um, by a woman called Minnie Baragwanath. And um, she is disabled activist from New Zealand. Oh. And yeah, the book is kind of all about her life, but um, so uh, she has visual impairments. It's all about growing up, um, about um, the impact of losing her sight, and then um, like what it was like pre-losing her sight and post-losing her sight. So the traveling that she's done, and just getting up, the, up to the point at the moment, kind of where she's. Um, looking at work and find out what she wants to do. So really wow. interesting from my, um, um, obviously from disability angle for me, from the uh, innovation side of things as well. Really interesting yeah. story so far. Yeah, for sure. That sounds super interesting. And do you find that you get a lot of inspiration from like some of the books that you read as well? Yeah, definitely. Always interesting hearing other people's stories and kind of seeing people who've, who've done this all before because there's bits yeah. of my life around like wheelchair skills, for example, where I'm maybe further down the line in what I'm doing. But um, as a social entrepreneur, I'm very much at the start of it and got ideas, but, you know, kind of sometimes I'm coming up against things that uh, feels like it's moving really slowly, for example. And it's good to hear about other people's journeys and, and take away kind of what I come from them hearing that they're about the positives and understanding, yeah, there's going to be loads and, and not everything's going to be easy, but there's so much you can gain from people who've, who've kind of been in that situation before. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I feel like this leads perfectly into my next one for you, which is do you have a famous role model or it doesn't have to be famous, even just anyone in your own life that you look up to or find inspiration in? So a few years ago when I was traveling um, through Bangladesh, I came across a spinal rehabilitation center and it's, it's called the center of the rehabilitation of paralyzed, the CRP. And the woman who set that up in Bangladesh is a British lady, um, who went to Bangladesh in 1969. Her name is Valerie Taylor and she saw a need for, um, the care of people with spinal cord injury. Because uh, just there was nothing there. Basically, at that time, if you got a spinal cord injury, then you died. And the, the story is that it started out with one mattress on the floor of a, sh a shed, and looking after all the patients on that mattress. By the time I I went, first went there in two thousand and ten, I mean it's this amazing, almost like a little village that has a hundred beds on the hospital unit. It's got a vocational training centre. It's got a school for health professionals. It's such an impressive place. And, and that idea of someone starting it, it's so small and then it grow into being quite an influential place that can change lives. And interestingly, in, in, from my point of view, I saw things there that I think offer more support than my experience of using spinal rehabilitation in the UK and that vocational side of things because you've not got the the support system in place in, in Bangladesh for the um, from kind of that financial side of things. People have to work so they get trained up on things like how to repair phones or shopkeeping skills and they're able to go out and get a job. So I, th I think that that was... That really amazed me. I remember at the time, I was like, wow, this is so impressive. So much so, actually, that I returned to Bangladesh a few months later and started volunteering there for a few months. So I was like, this is, yeah, such an wow. amazing place. 
Yeah. Wow, that's super inspirational. And when you were talking about seeing how they kind of turned it from this like small thing into this like much bigger thing, do you think that's something you take as inspiration with the Wheelchair Skills College as well? Definitely. I think that seeing how it starts from something so small and, you know, these big things don't just get created in the first instance. It's not like that building, that entire site was created. I mean, the yeah. the area itself within Dhaka, the capital, before the CRP was in that location, it was just farming fields. And then the CRP was gifted that land, they built on there. And then over time, things have started building up around it. And now Shavar is its own little town. But understanding that that started from this such a, a basic setting of this one mattress in this shed and Valerie and another woman looking after this one patient, I think it shows that, you know, everything's got to start somewhere. And if you don't make that that step to that that first step to get things started, then it's never gonna go anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it would be so incredible seeing that sort of in person and also hearing about it and like just going there to the place and seeing how it's like come along would have been like a really great experience as well. It really was. Um, and yeah. um, it just kind of when you start looking at how many people at their impacts and then people who get trained up go off to other places. And I mean, I had a, quite a unique perspective on the place because in between um, going there for the first time and returning as a volunteer, I actually um, broke my wrist when I was doing some downhill fall cross. And so I went over there with a broken wrist and I actually got treated as a patient by one of the hand <laughs> therapists. So it's, it's quite, um, yeah, that's some reason that, that I, I have kind of an extra insight into it. Wow. That's really incredible. Um... Wow. Honestly, I feel like having that experience and also volunteering there, how do you feel like that changed your sp perspective on things actually being like immersed into like a new sort of country and a new space and a new way of looking at life, I guess? Because it would be so different from like London or, you know, for example, where I'm from, Australia as well. I think that it definitely, especially coming from an outside perspective as well, you get to and have quite an objective view around how things are operating. And it, it does show you um, a different, you know, a different culture, different way people live. And I, I think I learned a lot from that. And it definitely gave me ideas on, on my perspective of kind of personal perspective around wheelchair skills perspective. Um, and also it did definitely make me grateful for what we have set up over here as well. So as I said, there's, um, there's a lot of benefits that I saw in that rehabilitation setting that I think surpass elements of what we have in the UK. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot that I'm grateful for in terms of um, kind of living in the UK and the setup that we have over here, the care, the access, all those kind of things. I think that, yeah, the... the it, it was a it was a big learning experience for me. I think um, I'm, I'm so happy to do it. it. And then actually following that as well, that that entire experience kind of um, inspired me to do a fundraiser for them. So oh. I was in Bangladesh for four months volunteering. Then I decided to fundraise for them, and I travelled home overland from Bangladesh. So using buses, trains, and boats, and then oh wow, spend the next yeah. So I spent the next five months going home overland from Bangladesh, <laughs> kind of um, as a as a fundraiser for them, but also to to raise awareness of wheelchair skills, and also I think for, to on a personal level to put my wheelchair skills to the test. It's like okay, this is something. I mean, I've always wanted to travel and really do yeah. something off the beaten track. It's like okay. This is this is kind of an ultimate wheelchair skills test. Yeah. So yeah, I spend I spend the next um, five months uh, coming back over land, and yeah, that was that was an adventure. 
Oh my goodness. Wow. That is so insanely cool. Um, like just briefly, what was that like? Five months traveling just to get home when like a plane takes literally less than like half a fraction or whatever of that time. Yeah. Like what was that like? That was so much fun. It was going across countries that I never thought I would. It was catching up with friends that I'd not seen in years, um, meeting people, um, and experiencing just kind of genuine kind of um kind people um who and it's the best for me it's the best thing about traveling is it's the people you meet and um like really genuine good human nature uh, but yeah it was such an amazing experience um seeing so many countries and although it was kind of a lot of places it was a flying visit it was yeah. um yeah it was an amazing experience yeah, I bet it was. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. It was really great to hear about that. Um, I'd love to jump into our interview questions now. So my first one for you is, why do you think resilience is important in our lives from your own perspective? For me, resilience is all about protecting ourselves. And, you know, it's... it's um, It's, it's just about self-preservation and looking after ourselves. It's, it's this idea that whatever we want to do, it starts with making sure that we're able to do it. It's, I guess it's the kind of idea of um, putting your own oxygen mask on first if you're on a plane. Look after yourself first and then and you're able to do all these other things that you want to. Um, I think that well, it's probably not something that I... I focus on a lot in terms of the concepts of resilience, if one is, but I think once I start reflecting on what I do, I can start seeing that actually I've built in a lot of coping strategies and things that do make me resilient. So for me, that independence that I have through wheelchair skills, I think that's part of one of my strategies to, to build up resilience as well. Um, I think that being able to get around on my own, um, having the ability to to have that independence and do all these things for myself, I think that's resilience against, yeah, a kind of an inaccessible world, inaccessible environments. I think there's other things that I use um, in terms of resilience as well. I think over the years I've used travel quite a bit. Um, yeah. And that's as I mentioned before, it's the kind of gratitude element. I think that's an important part of resilience. I think this is, I mean, just in the, looking at the biggest um, picture, I mean, life's not easy, is it? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things. I'm not even talking about major events. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things happen on a day-to-day -day basis and it can, it can grind you down. So having these things that protect yourself to keep on going, it's just so important. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like it's in the face of adversity where we use resilience the most and we need resilience in order to get us through those tougher times, um, in my own personal opinion as well, which I feel like links to what you're saying too. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also good to remember that, you know, everything does pass. And mm -hmm. I was watching um, this clip recently of Denzel Washington and he was saying that one thing that he always says is this too shall pass whatever it is you know kind of reminding yourself this too shall pass and it's a, it's a bad situation when you're really stuck in it. it and it's true isn't it we know this that you look back at your life and all these things that you're really worried about at one point you look back and maybe it's a day later or a week later or a month later and you're like, oh, why was he even bothered about that? Yeah. And I, th I think it's just a really useful, I, I hadn't heard that phrase before, this usual passport. You were saying that, you know, kind of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing as well. It's like, don't don't kind of get too carried away with things as well because this too shall pass. And everything's kind of, um, everything's temporary in, in some respects, isn't it? And everything's yeah. um, transient. And it's just really important to, remind yourself about that and I think that's another thing about resilience as well I think 
what I like to do is look at the bigger picture of stuff because looking at the bigger picture definitely puts things in perspective. And I think that definitely helped me when I first had my injury as well. Although I didn't frame it like that at the time. I think once I started thinking about things in, the, in a bigger perspective, then, um, yeah, it, it definitely helps you think about the, the scale of the issue that you're dealing with. And I remember that after my injury, I had a good friend on the, on the spinal unit, um, Tom, he was, a, I was 19 when I had my injury and he was a couple of years younger. And I remember that we used to um, go outside um, having a cigarette, smoking at the time, which is a really bad idea. But we went outside <laughs> for a cigarette, and um, and this was a time when they just got started putting kind of music on on mobiles. That's how long ago it was. Oh, anyway, one of the songs, yeah, this a long time ago. Uh, so one of the songs that he had on his phone was. Um, Monty Python, the Galaxy song. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard that before, but the, the song talking about how vast the universe is. Um, and then, yeah, it was just funny because we, we used to listen to that song and it's like, oh, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, everything seems more manageable now. Yeah, for sure. 100%. I feel like when you're in the heat of the moment, you think that like the world is ending and like it's literally the end of the world with whatever's happening in that moment and then you look back on something like for now I'm sure everyone can do it like you look back on an experience that you've had and you think about how insignificant it is compared to like things in retrospect and like the grand scheme of life and stuff like that um, and I feel like resilience comes into play because if you can get out get yourself out of that situation you can really see how like you know, like you said, this too shall pass and like it's not the end of the world with whatever's happening there as long as you can get yourself out of it. Definitely. And I think an important part of that is also not just repeating the same things in an echo chamber of your head. And if something is going on, share it with other people, you know, yes. to talk it through because actually sometimes it's not even about other people giving you advice or the other person even being there sometimes it's just saying these things out loud it can help you put them into perspective as, yeah. as long as it's not just these these constant thoughts that are exactly the same bounce around in your head and slowly getting worse but yeah definitely speaking to if you've got someone that you can talk to um speaking to them about it i mean over here we there are also um, helplines that you can call if it is that kind of situation, um, if you're all worried about something. Um, so it's, there's definitely, there's, there's so many benefits to reaching out. And I do think that, uh, that, that we live in a world where, although it's ch- feels like it's changing now, I think there's definitely still a, a stigma attached um, to, to re- reaching out for help. And realize that's probably in contrast to what I was saying about being independent and doing everything for myself with the wheelchair skills, but it's important to find that balance and there's, there's definitely, um, so much strength that can be gained from, from saying, you know, I can't handle all this on my own and I'm going to look for help from other people. It's definitely something I do when something comes up, being able to contact someone and say, actually, you've got a minute, I just want to chat about this. Just having, yeah, maybe getting or an objective view from the other person or just saying out loud helps so much. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with what you said. And along the lines of advice, um, what advice would you give to someone who's newly adjusting to life in a wheelchair and, you know, want to embark on that embark on that journey of, like, empowerment? So when I think back to my injury, and I think there's so much that I've gained from from other people and hearing their stories but I think at the start of it is understanding that everyone's journey is unique I think that kind of injury wise everyone's got nuances with their injury everyone's at different places before their injury I think the the journey that people go through and what they want to do after their injury as well or in any yeah. situation any, I think that's what I'm getting to 
any situation, people's journey is unique. So understanding that and giving yourself time to to deal with that and to to find your way. Um, yeah. I think looking at and understanding and grieving that that sense of loss is is part of that understanding about your journey and about what you've lost and the differences and it's not something I recognized at the time I was just very much in the situation but reflecting on it now I can see it as a going through that grieving process and the five stages of loss so denial anger depression bargaining acceptance um I can definitely as I'm looking back I can see going through all those five stages so I, I think just for people to understand that you know these that is it's a big thing to go through and you know, give yourself time and understand your own journey for me it was really important going out there and trying things as well so early on I was kind of going out there trying new sports I was learning to drive I went back to a degree that I dropped out of um, to, to kind of you know kind of get some education behind me and so going out there and trying new things was really important and getting peer support as well so again connecting with people who've been through similar things knowing that you're not on your own and although it's not if the situation might not be exactly the same it's understanding that you know actually some of these things that you're going through other people have been through before as well and although it's a very personal thing going through it yourself there are things that you can learn for other people both in what they did but again understanding that you know this things can get better things will get better and this too shall pass we'll kind of um, move on to something else so i think that as people are kind of maybe using a wheelchair for the first time um, and also from my own personal perspective as well I guess learning about what life's going to be like I think we're in a a world that's more connected than ever now and social media has so many benefits in terms of connecting with uh, different communities and it's a big change from when I first had my injury and we were only getting music on phones but now we're so connected I mean you've got um, so many social channels and more people posting more content on there from a disability perspective as well there's so much out there at the moment and I think that's such a great way to find information and what's the share kind of a a wide variety of topics um, to do with kind of wheelchair use where you're looking at equipment activities um all kinds of things yeah for sure and along the lines of like different equipment and like social media do you think that there are any other like technological advancements or sort of adaptive equipment that kind of has helped really improve the field of wheelchair training so i think the the biggest change and we're going back quite a while here but lightweight wheelchairs are still the the biggest step forward so yeah. chairs that active users use and and that are custom made and lighter frames they de- they definitely make the biggest difference and the reason i mentioned that although it's not new when you start using a wheelchair you, you might just you just might not know about it so I, th- I think that's something that needs to be focused on a bit more kind of getting people the right equipment although I wouldn't say it's a particularly new piece of technology I do teach wheelchair skills and as some of the young people I've been teaching wheelchair skills to um, have these big bulky wheelchairs and they're so inhibiting in terms of holding them back from what they could achieve and again again the message out there that actually the this is why it's so important I mean this is a tool for independence you want to make sure that it can support you to be as independent as possible so actually those lightweight wheelchairs are something that can make such a big difference to people's lives i think uh, the 
from technology perspective as well as talk about the information sharing, although face-to-face training for wheelchair skills is really important. I think that the social media side of things, as I was just saying, is such a huge benefit that we've got from um, kind of the way that we communicate now across technology. And although I'm focusing with the social enterprise on delivering in-person wheelchair skills, I've also got all the wheelchair skills online so people can access them anytime they want to. So there's that option there to, to share information and make sure that everyone has access to it wherever they are. Um, and geography then doesn't become a barrier. And yeah, it's just such an easy way to communicate information to people on quite a big scale. Yeah, for sure. And you've been talking about this idea, like you said, of overcoming barriers. So how can individuals like reframe their perspective on disability to focus more on the opportunities um, that it has and how they can focus on like their abilities and their potential? So for me, I think it was really important for me to understand disability. And yeah. Um, from from a social perspective, and I there were it's probably something that I didn't understand at first, and it was a negative perception around disability that I had, and of the of using a wheelchair and how limiting that was going to be. But it was that internalized ableism, and I think that it was. It was understanding around the social models of disability, and it was years before I came across um, the social models of disability um, that really helped me understand where the barriers lay. So historically, it was the medical model of disability that focuses on the person um, being the issue and the fact that they can't do things. And that's the reason they can't access all these things in society. And the medical model very much puts the, the onus on the person being the issue. But the social model of disability that was developed looks at society itself being the problem. There's those barriers that are in place, um, whether it's physical barriers, uh, attitudinal barriers. Those are the things that stop a person accessing society, and that's actually what disables them. And I think it's, it's once you start understanding that it, for, well, for, for me anyway, it helped me reframe what disability was. And yeah, and then once I've kind of got over that in my own head, I think the, the next step for me was going out there and actually going back to that um, social media side of things, I think that's a great way to explore different ideas. Um, find out, I mean, some people go back to what they were doing um, before their injury. Um, it might be adapted. It could be exploring new things. I think connecting with people on social media is a great way to find out what new opportunities. Um, connecting to disabled people's organizations is another great way of finding out what new possibilities. It, as I said, everyone's journey is so unique. So it's really about finding out what you want to do and then kind of going out there and exploring different options. And it's going to, there might be some things that are less accessible, uh, or I think it's setting, setting goals for yourself and whether it is, I was saying before, kind of on the rocking chair test, whether it is finding your bigger purpose or whether it is a, a smaller goal that you, something you want to do in life and just figuring out what that is, what's going to make you happy and then go for that. A lot of these things are about trial and error. I think that that's okay. Not everything's going to work out, but it's important to, to try these things. Yeah, for sure. And what do you think the sort of connection between resilience and, you know, getting back out there and following your passions and not being afraid to try things is? Um, so I guess having those, those tools for resilience are really important because not everything's going to work out. And as we were talking about originally, kind of resilience is so important to protect yourself. And I think this is this true, um, whether um, you're looking at 
the disabled, non, non-disabled community as well. There's just so many things in life that comes up. So having those tools to, to make sure that you, you are resilient and then when things don't go right, um, then you can keep on going. I think that's so important. I don't think that going out and trying new things will come without errors and will come out with, without things that are going wrong. Yeah. And, and it's being able to keep on going forwards and, and keeping the idea of, you know, kind of actually, um, kind of use it as a learning experience and, and not being taken down by it. I think that's really important to do. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's where sort of not fearing failure comes in as well and being okay with the fact that you could try something and it might not work out, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying either. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, it feels like we're a cliche to say that every opportunity is a learning experience, but it's true, yeah. isn't it? And, you know, if it if it doesn't work out, it's, you know, it's kind of better to, to have tried it and not made it than always thinking of oh, what, what would have happened if I tried that. I think that that's an attitude that I've always had. And it's probably something that, that scared me into trying things early on, actually. Even soon after my injury, um, I was, when I was still in hospital, having this idea that if I woke up 20 years down the line, and realized I could do something at that point, I would have looked back thinking, oh wait, I could have done that all this time. And then I've only just started doing it 20 years down the line. So trying yeah. things early on was always really important to me. Uh, and you, you can say that about kind of at, at, um, at any point in your journey. I've been always thinking about you know, kind of getting further down, realizing you can do something. Why would you not try that sooner? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just one of the benefits of kind of trying it. If, if you fail, that's fine as well. At least you know you don't like it. There's no left with that thing, thinking along the lines for what if I would have done that. I think we've always had a, a why not attitude instead of what if attitude. Yeah. 100% and I feel like that's resilience in itself as well. Um, also, are there any like specific organizations or resources that individuals with disabilities can turn to for guidance when they're wanting to pursue their interests or passions? I think that connecting to the disabled community itself has so much knowledge, so many resources. So, I mean, again, online is the first place to go. Um, what yeah. are we looking for? Whether it's even if it's going to be connecting to a local community, just finding out who those people are. I mean, all, being going online is such a great resource. Like disabled people's organisations, um, awfully often based in local um, spaces, they can let you know kind of what's going on locally. I used to work for one in East London, and those kind of organisations are just connected to so many different things within that local area and they can offer a lot of different support. So the, uh, the organization I used to work for was around information advice and advocacy, but it was very connected to everything that was going on in the borough, um, including other organizations. So I think the, those local organizations have, have so much value, um, people within those organizations as well. Uh, once yeah. you start connecting to the community, then you you find out about things that are wider than just what's connected to that, and you, you then connect to people and their personal interests, which then opens up another uh, kind of wider area um, for you. Um, as well as the the local side of things, um, finding out about um, larger, maybe national organisations um, that have have kind of set up to regionally i think those are really useful again and just finding out as well as different things that you wouldn't have thought about before um so whether that's um kind of social opportunities work opportunities sports opportunities and it just comes down to wherever someone's personal interest is i think yeah. that i mean we're talking about the disabled community here there will be certain things that you know kind of opportunities that need to be adapted well, that's not true for 
everyone's interest as well. The there will be certain things that um, that you can get involved with that are fully accessible, um, whether you're disabled or non-disabled. I think that so it's not all. It doesn't have to be just um, the, the disabled community reaching out to. It's like what is it that you want to do, and then connect with the community that that kind of offers that. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's one of the benefits of living in today's society and also in a society where like social media and digital media and just being able to be online literally 24-7 has become so useful because you'll find all sorts of different communities out there for even the most niche sort of interests that you might have. So it's such a great resource to tap into as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, awesome. um, No, go on, go on. Definitely go on. No, sorry, I was just gonna echo what you said. I just think it's yeah. such a such a great resource. It, it makes the world a lot smaller. And the more people we get on there sharing ideas, sharing stories, it starts to to challenge um that, that kind of social stigma in a lot of ways. And it starts to show people kind of possibilities and sharing ideas and it feels like it yeah, it's you connect to a much larger community. And actually that's going back to what we were talking about resilience before as well, the different strategies. I think being connected to a larger community is is really important part of resilience as well, because you're no longer operating on your own. You're actually part of something that's so much bigger. And I think that you can get so much thread through that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I loved your point about it makes the world feel a bit smaller because especially if you've got something that's really niche or you know that a lot of people might not have it in common with you, it can be really easy to feel like you're the only person that feels this way or you're the only person that wants to do these types of things. But then you go online and you realize there's a whole community with like hundreds or even thousands of people exactly like you. Exactly, yeah. And if if you're picturing a massive Venn diagram with all your different parts of your identity and interests and you might be connected with some people in your local area and or regionally or, or nationally or whatever it is and no one's got these exact crossover that you have, but then you go online and it's actually yeah, you can find people with the same interests and the same values. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm not on my own. It's not like I'm the old one out here. Actually the there are other people like me. And yeah, it, it can give you a sense of yeah, of kind of community that you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's such a great resource, and I'd love to get into our practices and habits debrief section now. So basically, just going to keep talking about what we have so far, but more in context of your personal experiences. Um, so, is there a practice that you've used to help yourself? You know, go after your passions and live up to your own potential and what you want to do for your own life. It's really interesting to think about it as a practice. And I look at look at 17 years of using a wheelchair and it's like, how do I how do I pick out kind of a practice that I've done through it that that's kind of yeah, that's um enabling me to do what I have. I guess I, I genuinely believe and this is why I set up um social enterprise wheelchair skills are such a fundamental part of everything that I've done yeah and it has given me that confidence and independence um to go out there and try other things so when, when it's talking about confidence we're talking about confidence in terms of using the wheelchair but also confidence in myself um to put myself in in situations that I don't think I would would have otherwise done so so whether it's kind of getting out there and traveling or whether it's um, going into social situations, public speaking. I think everything started from being confident in myself in the first place. And it's just a taking that next step each time. That's probably not a big step at the time. It's just, okay, I'll, I'll try this new thing. Um, I've got the confidence to try this. And each step you take just gets bigger and bigger. So I think that I've been able to do so much because I, I've had the confidence to take those first few steps. 
And a lot of what I've done is about exploring my identity, understanding who I am. But again, that's only been possible because I've got those kind of fundamental skills to build on in the first place. So I think the, yeah, so the, the practice that I'd, I'd say has built that resilience in the first place was the wheelchair skills. Yeah. For sure. And just in terms of like building those wheelchair skills, you probably obviously don't set super specific times to be like, okay, right now I'm going to develop this one skill. So is it something that you practice when it comes up in like your life where you face it, face a certain situation and you're like, okay, I need to put this skill into practice and use it a bit more? Or do you actually in fact set up specific times where you decide to, you know, develop your wheelchair skills? Initially, it was set up specific times. I know yeah. there was bits where there were certain skills that I couldn't do and I, I wanted to practice them. So it's like, okay, I'm going to spend some time practicing this. And getting, getting to a, a skill level where you can do something, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of time, but then it's then about refining that skill. So making sure that as I was saying before, it's maybe not always taking the easiest routes forces you into situations where actually practicing that, practicing that yeah. skill again and again. And it's just getting a bit better each time and making sure you do that as well because I know that if I was driving around everywhere, if I was using my, my scooter attachments to get everywhere, then the skills won't be as good. So maybe not a, a specific time to practice wheelchair skills, but making that conscious decision to be like, okay, I'm not going to drive here or I'm not going to use the scooter today. I'm going to, even though it's going to be a lot faster to get there with the scooter, I'm going to, I'm going to push there. I'm going to kind of practice the skills on the way. Yeah, for sure. And what are some of the challenges of putting yourself in this situation where you're, you know, actively choosing to make things a bit harder for yourself, but in order for you to develop these skills? Um, so I guess it's all things just maybe taking a bit longer than they would otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of it's, especially if you're going over long distances, might be more tiring. So just making sure that, uh, you pay the right time to do that as well. So you're not doing anything when you're in a rush, you're not doing it when it's um, a stressful situation. Um, you, you're picking times that that it's going to be okay to, to be a bit tired as well. Because again, it comes down to understanding how all these things are going to affect you. And I guess that's part of resilience as well. Yeah. Like picking out those times where you can afford to um, spend a bit more energy or spend a bit more time and understand that everything's got its cost. And yeah, picking the best times to, to be able to take a bit longer to get there and when's going to work best for the practice. Yeah, and do you recommend this sort of approach to like anyone else in as in terms of like putting yourself in situations where you have to, you know, use your skills a bit more instead of taking maybe the easier route out of it? Yeah, I think that, I mean, just in terms of skill development, anything you practice more, you get better at. And yeah. it's much better to, to do these things when... Um, yeah, well, well, even when you have the option of, um, kind of maybe taking a faster route that the skill developments can pay off to either develop new skills or retain the skills that you've already got and talk about wheelchair skills there. Um, but also, yeah, I guess, um, that, that works for any set of skills. Also now I'm going through my brain now trying to think of some of the skills that it applies to, um, it's too early to. <laughs> well yeah uh it's yeah i think it it does work in just in, in general skills development doesn't it and the thing yeah. about what you want to develop and put yourself in situations where you're constantly practicing that yeah for sure well thank you for sharing some of your personal experiences with that um i'd love to get into our questions from the audience now so i've got a few here for you and my first one here is for someone new to wheelchair training how can their surroundings help them stay motivated and resilient especially during like those early stages of learning these new skills 
I was just talking about before, connected to the community, such an important thing. Yeah. Everyone's uh, everyone's journey is unique. So understanding that and finding what works for you, kind of what can you take from the community and what you need, giving yourself time and, and not pushing yourself too hard as well. You know, kind of take your time, start with the easier things, kind of, there are some things that are just um, easiest to do and going out there and going for a push around the park, just anything that kind of keeps you active, gets you out into some green space, kind of gets you fresh air. I think, yeah, accessing things that you wouldn't on a daily basis is really important. And ultimately, that's what wheelchair skills are for. It's about getting you back to things that you'd be doing on a daily basis. So I think when, when you're focused on these initial goals and it can feel overwhelming looking at kind of goals on, a, on these bigger scale of things of finding purpose, but it's okay to be like, okay, while I'm thinking about that, I'm going to go out and do these things on a daily basis. And then all the time, again, you do things that need to be done anyway, you, you practice in these skills and then you can build up over time. Yeah, of course. And also just in terms of like people that are new to this, um, this kind of is my own question now, um, but I feel like there must be sort of like an emotional or like mental barrier that must come along with this, especially for people who are just learning how to do these skills and it might be frustrating or it might be really challenging. Do you have any advice for them in terms of, you know, dealing with that mental or like emotional toll that might come along with it? So I think this is... Going back to this kind of social perspective of disability as well, I think that's something that can take quite a toll on, on you when you first use a wheelchair. Kind of disability is still seen as something that's wrong and that doesn't fit in. And I think that can be a big toll and as well dealing with this in the first instance. It's definitely... For me, I, I definitely recognized that it was that internalized ableism and and that was a barrier for me initially, like perceiving what could be done. Yeah. I think that as, as people are connecting to that community, seeing other people, what they're doing and, and exploring. So we've, we've talked about exploring activities and from that side of the community, but also, you know, there's a lot of uh, people with really good, great resilience and, and techniques as well. And there's so many options to find out what works for you. So I think yeah. again, kind of researching different, um, yeah, different resilience techniques, what works for one person, what works for another, find something that works for you. And in, over the years, kind of, one thing that's been fairly constant for me is um, I will, I've always water skied. And I think that's that, the point for me where I really kind of disconnect from um, work or life stress. And as a sport, that, that gets me out of, um, gets well, gets me into a better headspace rather. And I think that's important just to kind of explore these things. It, it might not be what the first person suggests to you. Um, and that's okay. It's kind of yeah. start exploring things, start looking out there around what's out there and find something that works for you. Yeah, for sure. That was super inspirational. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and my last question for you is, what are some safety consideration and tips that you have for wheelchair users, especially during training um, when it might be like outdoors or some more challenging environments? So wherever I'm teaching wheelchair skills, um, beyond the basic skills of pushing and turning, always use a spotter. So a spotter is someone who, who stands behind the wheelchair when you're practicing things like curbs or back wheel balance, and they are there to, um, to catch someone if they fall. So they're behind the wheelchair and they use um, a climbing sling, loop behind the back bar of a wheelchair, or, or maybe other hands under the handles as well. Um, because yeah, that, that can be a massive into your confidence if you're practicing the skills and then you do fall over. So yeah. having a spotter behind you, 
gives you that confidence that you're not going to fall, but also gives you the freedom to to make a couple of errors and, and learn from those mistakes as well. Um, I think it's also important to know how to fall properly because I, it will happen. Um, but if you don't fall properly, then that can mean a trip to the hospital, whereas falling properly can just leave you with some sh- sore shoulders. So there's there's a big difference between knowing what to do in that situation as well. So again, we, we keep on going back to uh, looking online, but again, there's so many great resources. So, I mean, I've got videos on how to fall properly around spotting, so making sure that you are um, yeah, making it for as safe for yourself as possible. Um, yeah. So those two things are definitely safe. Yeah, I'm super curious, but how does someone fall properly? So uh, when you're falling backwards, it's all about making sure that you don't hit your head. As I say, if you fall backwards, hit your head, that's when you're going to be going to hospital. Whereas once you realize you're falling backwards, you get your chin on your chest and try and arch as far forwards as you can in your wheelchair. And then as you fall backwards, you're keeping your head off the ground and you're going to hit your shoulders and it's not going to be comfortable. But it's that difference between, you know, kind of going out um, and getting back in your chair versus going to hospital and getting yeah. x-rays and whatever I'm like with that. Yeah, for sure. And like you said before, with like the online stuff, even though we like keep coming back to it, I feel like it just highlights how you can literally find all your resources online. Like if you have a question, like the one I just asked you, you could literally just Google it or like go on YouTube and try and find it. So it's such a viable resource. Yeah. And I think it's something that, oh, now, now I'm thinking about it, maybe take for granted because without without online resources and without connecting to the community online, thinking about how often I would see another wheelchair user in the street or get into conversation opportunities where we could talk about things like that. And I mean, without the, the kind of the water skiing or some of the other environments that I'm already connected to. But I mean, very rarely see another wheelchair user out on the streets, considering there are so many. And it, it is kind of, more than a million over here in the UK. And there's a lot of wheelchair users out there where you just don't see people out and about. There's not that. So it, again, it goes back to that thing of it can feel quite isolated. Yeah. And you do need to connect with the community. Um, yeah, so I think just reminding yourself that um, there is the community out there and it has got a lot of knowledge in it. And again, I think as well that you can choose how connected you want to be to that community. It's not like you need to go out there and, and start talking to everyone. It can be a Google search for the information you need. It can be following a couple of accounts on YouTube or Instagram that just seeing these things pop in your feed occasionally. I think that's just really important part for people outside of each community as well. So if you're not in the disabled community, you know, you can follow some of these channels and just get a bit of insight. Um, and that goes for all sorts of communities as well. I think it's important to kind of get this balanced perspective of, of kind of parts of life that we wouldn't necessarily see on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think that's also a really great way to sort of round off this section specifically, just like really honing in on like the online resources and like the amount of sort of the amount of sort of help that you can get if you just reach out online as well to like the communities, the resources that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's just like this really great place to go to if you're unsure as well um, and you don't feel like you have someone you can reach out to personally. So thank you for that one. Um, I'd love to get into our open mic section now. So um, the floor is all yours to talk about anything that you would like to. Thank you. Uh, So what I'd like to talk about is um, my Churchill Fellowship. So I've recently been awarded a fellowship and the fellowship is, the the idea of the fellowship is that people um, dealing with a social issue look at 
somewhere else in the world that are doing um, a good job of it and they go over to the country they find out more about it find out more about how it works and then bring it back and to the uk now since setting up my social enterprise i've i've come across so many barriers in terms of um, teaching wheelchair skills and in terms of setting something up that can be scaled and for me it's, it's this thing that i know works in, in terms of wheelchair skills it's had a massive impact on my life and it got me thinking that how many other disabled people must there be out there that have these amazing ideas that could really make a big difference to people so i put forward the idea of piece of research looking into innovation through lived experience of disability so for disabled people when they have this idea how do they kind of develop it how do they scale it how do they get it to more people and so early next year i'm going to be going to australia and new zealand um which really excited about um not being there before and so for seven weeks um i'll be going around meeting people meeting organizations interviewing people and finding out how things work and how um, people have taken their innovations and scaled it so both individuals um, and organizations as well that support those individuals um so yeah really excited about that i think it's going to be a, a great bit personal learning for me um but also kind of it's going to be so useful in terms of understanding what um a disabled innovators pathway could look like and build on my own experience to hopefully create something that offers more support and disabled innovators yeah amazing well that sounds such like such a great opportunity and wish you all the best for that when you come over here um and thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this topic as well i feel like it's something we just don't get to talk about um every day and i know i certainly don't have conversations like this so it's just super enlightening to be able to create a space where we can talk about this stuff so thank you for that no thanks for inviting me along it's been great to talk about yeah, amazing. Well, just to round off today, um, for anyone looking to find out more information about yourself or what it is you do, where can they go? So for uh, to find out more about wheelchair skills, my website is wheelchairskills.org. I've got my blog on there that I do on a monthly basis, talk about all things wheelchairs and, and also the videos are online as well. And if you're interested in what I'm going to be doing, my research fellowship, and and kind of following my journey through australia and new zealand and um, you can f- see more about that at my personal blog which is pedonnelly.com perfect well we've also got pete's details down in the description below but to everyone listening thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time you have been listening to bouncing back the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pr.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna, thanks for tuning in.